today is the first day where I feel like I'm actually losing my mind. <laughs> Do you think you'll rem- remember it forever? Like the way, you know, people are like, I know exactly where I was when this thing happened. You'll be like 10 years from now. I know the exact day I started losing my fucking mind. <laughs> right. It's day 20. Where are we at now? Yeah. I woke up this morning and I was like, it seems it's like a weird fucked up version of Groundhog yeah. Day. <laughs> oh, 21 God. fucking days. Another episode of Take Me to Coffee. This is a mentorship podcast for the digital age. For anyone who looks outside of the box for inspiration. And knows just how important a great mentor can be. From movie stars to blog writers to activists working to save the arts, in this day and age, we have something to learn from everyone. So this is your weekly chance to get personal with people who've been down the road before you. And soak up a whole lot of inspiration from every corner of the internet. I was thinking today about like, you know, put this timeline in your head. One year Mm. ago, we started recording our first test episodes like this week or last week, I think. So that was a year ago. And when we started doing the podcast, I know when we started just one year ago, we're like, you know what? We're going to have a coffee date at the top of every episode. One, so that like the people who listen to the podcast can get to know, you know, Andrew and I and Andrew Mm -hmm. and I have been living in a different city because you were in Chicago and Hamilton for two years. So it was like our chance to catch up, right? Like a legitimate chance to catch up. And then even when you got back, which was that January? Is that right? Uh, Yeah, early January. Even in January, like when we're here, we're busy, we're working, we never see each other very rarely. And so it was still that chance. But now it's like, (laughs) we we were saying this the other day. Forced isolation has caused us. We're literally talking to each other more than anybody else. (laughs) (laughs) It's really fucking crazy. It's crazy. This morning was the morning I woke up and I was like, I'm going to lose my fucking mind if I don't have more like things to do, like outside things yeah, to do. I know. What are you talking about? You do shit all the time. You're constantly doing shit. But I mean like outside well, things. I know, like if but I was to walk to an audition or to walk to, you know what I mean? Like something like that. That's the thing is like, I'm not complaining. I'm so thankful to be busy and to be able to help, as I've said many times in the last couple of weeks. But like yes, I absolutely. am by myself in a 700 square foot apartment. It's a really nice apartment though. Like it let's is. be honest, it's, it's so a nice. really nice apartment. <laughs> Guys, I won the lottery, so I would, let's just also be <laughs> literally, literally clear won the about that. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. but you know what I mean and I'm like barely going outside because our neighborhood is packed and our park is packed and everybody's doing a great job, don't get me wrong. I'm actually really impressed with Inwood. Uh, I live in Inwood up top of Manhattan. Um, but uh no, I so no, I'm not doing the same thing every day, but also like I have ne- I never spend this much time not around people. You know me. I'm like always around people. You know what's crazy to me? I don't know when the next time I'm going to get a haircut. Oh, I know. <laughs> I cut my own bangs the other day. That's so weird because I just thought about like, oh yeah, maybe I'll just give myself a little trim. Wait, oh, I, I have a like, good story to tell you. I don't think I yeah. ever told you this. So oh, after God, we talked to Hassan, it's uh-huh. so this episode is like 10 episodes ago or so. I think I'm just taking a wild guess, but I think it's about 10 Jesus. episodes if you want to go look for it. It's so good. I know. Isn't that crazy? It's such a good episode. And Hassan is a skincare line founder. Yeah. And I we just both loved him so much. So I reached out afterwards and I was like, well, I would love to get to know you. And like, if we ever can work together on anything or I can help in any way. And so we got on like a little in, uh, Instagram video with, to chat with each other. And uh-huh. he, he had said something about like being so working so hard on his business that he couldn't afford, right, to, to do other things in his life. And I said, I feel you so hard. I have not gotten my hair done 
in a full year because it seems crazy to go spend 400 bucks on my hair when like all of my resources and financial resources in particular are going towards Broadway Unlocked and it's meaningful and I'm seeing change and I'm seeing movement. And yeah. he was like, you got to go do it. You're the face of your brand. You got to go do it. This was like, what, two months ago, three months ago? Sure. He just checked in the other day. He was like, did you get your hair done? Did you get your hair done? <laughs> and I was like, sure didn't. <laughs> oh, boy. The good thing is it's harder to see the grays on video than it is in real life. Well, that's the fucking cool part is like, I'm, I'm starting to really lean in. I'm going to be 40 this year. And I'm like, I'm starting to really lean into it. I got a lot of gray going on here and there. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. All right, I'm cool with it. I know it's a little different for the ladies out there, whatnot. You don't want to, you know, see yeah, a certain I, way or do something, blah, blah, blah. But like, I love it. My <laughs> wife's like getting a few gray hairs. She's going to fucking murder me if I ever said that out loud. <laughs> and I just said it out loud. But she's got a couple of gray hairs and she dyes them and whatnot. I was like, babe, just like let that go. You know, like her gram- her grandmother is the same kind of way. Like she has a beautiful, thick mane of this like gorgeous hair and she has it dyed like every three weeks because if the roots yeah. start to show, she gets like really self conscious about it. And I was like, Grandma, mm. like you're 80, you're going to be 84 seven this week like she's gonna be 87 this week i'm like grandma like just let it go like be that beautiful silver fox that you are like let Let that let it fucking go elsa (laughs) let it go Speaking of being able to afford anything, let's get to our fucking guest today. Today, we're having coffee with Michael Skolnick. His organization, We Are Soze, is one of the fucking coolest things that I've heard going on through this entire epic crisis bullshit. Thank God he said yes. I know. Uh, And I was thinking about that comment that we made the other day uh, about how do we get this guy on here? And I was like, this guy's real fancy. (laughs) This guy's really, really fancy. And I kept looking. I went down the rabbit hole a little more on like some of the information you sent me. And then I did my own little bit of research afterwards. And I was like, this guy's so fucking interesting. Started reading all these articles and like seeing what he's actually doing. I was like, fuck, man, we, you straight cold fucking DM in this guy and being like, yo, listen, come on this thing. And he's like, and he's just this kind of guy. This guy's the real deal. Michael Skolnick, because we don't do a lot of talking about his history in the episode because we wanted to kind of just get to uh, talking about artists and activists. Um, So Michael Skolnick started out as a film producer. Um, he has a really fascinating backstory. You should check out the Times article we link in the show notes. So he like basically convinced his parents to let him move into an empty McMansion here in New York at 16. With a couple of rich friends of his. Yeah, it was. He's. Uh, I'm so obsessed with him. So he's a film producer for a long time. And then he ran this hip hop news website for Russell Simmons and ultimately ended up being Russell Simmons' political director. And mm-hmm. that's when Michael Skolnick started to... Uh, discover that he was really good at connecting grassroots movements to celebrity and digital media that could amplify their efforts. And you can read more about him. There's tons published about him, but he is so important. He is his work. And I think he would be mortified. He's probably listening to this being mortified because I get the feeling he doesn't like to be talked about a lot because he doesn't feel like he's right. He's so fucking humble. It's like so humilitous. Oh my God. That's what makes it so great. But Here's the deal. That's what our jobs are, right? Our jobs Mm -hmm. are to be the ones to give him a minute to say, like, your fucking work is so important and it's really mattered. So, yeah, I I think you're right, Andrew. Uh, The fact that he gave us an hour of his time, like total fucking strangers. He'd never heard of our podcast. He never heard of us. This conversation we are about to have with him is one of the I feel really, really privileged to have had it. 
I mean, the, just the, again, the way that he talks and the gravity that he brings to uh, over glaring systematic f- problems that we have in the society, yeah. but also um, the the impact that artists make on this society. I think that the thing that has really like lifted my heart and my faith and in humanity as a result of getting to know Michael a little bit and his work this week, the arts are going, we are in the midst of a actual massive crisis and it matters because the arts change hearts and minds. They shift culture. They drive economies. And not a lot of people are paying a whole lot of attention yet to what's about to happen to the arts. And for me personally, I don't know about you, like the fact that the Soze Foundation and Task Force, which is another agency that came on immediately to be a part of this activist and artist relief fund. um, And there's one more organization. The fact that they got on this so fast and they've already raised $150,000 for this artist and activist relief fund and that they believe in the power of the arts and they believe they have to help keep us afloat. That's it's like, a, it's overwhelmingly amazing to consider, I think. And to surround yourself with people, uh, like, like you said, his, his friend list is vast and they have quite a, quite a bit of resource and to be able to speak to those people in a way that's like, Hey, listen, these people who don't have a lot, we should be spreading this around and mm-hmm. they're willing to do that. And anybody who associates himself with somebody like Michael, um, who's willing to separate themselves from the monetary value to be able to mm-hmm. give to something that they believe in, or even they know they see that is necessary and yeah. is a necessity in society is it, it's, it's humbling. It's beautiful. It's, it's all of the, the, the things you need to describe um, what humanity is wrapped up in like one kind of organization and human. Yeah. You know, in the times article and the courts article, again, if you're listening, definitely go read up on Michael. Um, but they do, they do dive into quite a bit in those articles, like Michael's privilege as a white man and because he's often tackling racial issues um, in his work. Um, And I was just thinking, listening to what you were saying, that this is such an extraordinary way to use his privilege. When Michael says, to your point, Mm -hmm. to his network, this is important, you must give because of the work he's done, because he has such a strong history of work and can is so eloquent and widely published. You just they do it. And that's an amazing way to use privilege, right? To know that you can just say, we're doing this and people will jump on board. Wow. It's amazing. It's it really is, man. I mean, this guy serves on the board of uh, board of directors for Rock the Vote, the Trayvon Martin Foundation, the Gathering for Justice, and the Young Partners Board of the Public Theater. Like this guy's got his hands tapped into everything. He is yeah. he is it, ready to get his hands dirty. He wants to get his hands dirty. He wants to help marginalized communities. He wants to help artists. He wants to help everybody. And he's just a really fucking great dude, man. Taking yeah. his time out of his day from away from his son in the middle of this crisis is like, you know, Mateo gives us a little, a little what's up during, uh, during the uh, shout out to Mateo. On his onboard for the show, for the episode, he was like, what's, we were always asked like, what's one thing you want to plug? And he was like, I have the best seven-year-old son who can no longer stay inside. <laughs> When you close down the parks and stuff and you got a seven-year-old, what can you do? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's So we're going to put these links in again in the show notes, but listen up because I've got some important stuff to tell you. You can go to wearesoza.com to apply for the Activist and Artist Relief Fund. That's W-E-A-R-E-S-O-Z-E.com. Um, there's a wait list right now, uh, but they are raising more money and it will open back up. And I'm here to tell you, I was one of the 250 people out of 6,000 that got one. It's real. They are getting them out. There are and they've expanded now to offer from $250 to $750, which is amazing. Yeah. So yeah. I encourage you, if you apply, to be honest, 
to be vulnerable and tell them not only your story, but like why you make an impact in the world and you know how this will help you continue to do Sorry, that. It's all very important. Everything that you do, do not minimize yourself. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's no, there's no, there's nothing that's yes. too small, right? No. Just be honest, be truthful. Which you will this hear is what this in guy's this episode. You'll hear every bit of authenticity yeah. breeds this, everything that this guy has cultivated his whole entire life about authenticity and truth. And it's fucking gorgeous. So if you're in the position to be able to donate to the artist, the to donate to the artist and activist, artist. really fun. The artist, um, sure, sure, sure. you can head to their GoFundMe and donate. Uh, I made a Bitly for it, so it's easier. It's Bitly slash TM Two C Soza, um, and I'll put that in the show notes too. And please do donate if you can. Even again, no amount is too small. You can give ten, fine. But here's the last fun thing that I found today, this morning when I woke up, which was so cool. I have a really good friend. We have a good friend who's a blue man and has been is one of the senior blue men. Um, and he's based in from Vegas. that's from the Blue Man Group, the, oh, the show The yeah. Blue Man Group. Yeah, no, he's not just a blue man. He's <laughs> actually in the show The Blue Man Group. I, I I see how that was confusing. And he's been there for what, like twenty years almost, like twenty twenty years. Yeah. Uh, well, how long have we been out of school? Sixteen, seventeen years. Seventeen. Like yeah, yeah, seventeen. Seventeen years. Jesus. So I wake up time. and I'm I know I'm scrolling through Facebook and I see that. Mark, my friend Mark, is doing this million impressions challenge, and he's doing a, a pr- impression of Crocodile Dundee struggling with the chip reader at Trader Joe's. That's the instruction. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so fucking stupid and amazing. And so I read oh down God. his post, and I see that he's been challenged by someone else we know in Vegas who's in another show um, to do this. And then I see it's directly related to the Artist and Activist Relief Fund. They're doing a drive and they're donating a dollar every time someone tags hashtag million impressions and does an impression. Yeah. So so if you can't afford to donate to the Artist and Activist Relief Fund, there's still a way for you to get money in it. You need to challenge three people you know on social media to film an impression of a celebrity doing something. So examples that I've seen this morning, because I started looking through all of them, uh, yeah. is the one that I just mentioned the, with Crocodile Dundee. Um, I also saw someone that had to do Al Pacino negotiating for the last slice of pizza in the box. <laughs> I can't wait to see so many more. Hoo-ah! Oh, Give me that piece. Give God. me that piece. So, yeah, so we're going to, we'll get this all up there. But um, like I said, they'll they'll donate a dollar for every single time you hashtag million impressions and do <laughs> this uh, impression challenge. So get on it because I know we have a lot of really creative people who listen to this. And, and if you want to tag us too. We'll we'll share all. Please of them. <laughs> do. We will forward the shit. We will we will retweet and we will repost the shit out of all of these. Head over to Twitter and follow us at TM2C Podcast to leave us a video ask question for an upcoming guest. Or you know what, you guys, just tag somebody, tag a bunch of people, and put hashtag million impressions. We hope you enjoy this episode of Take Me to Coffee with Michael Skullnick. <laughs> Oh my god, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us today. Have some coffee. I think that uh, all we have is time at this point. <laughs> exactly right. And I think we're all we're all yearning for uh, any kind of contact, whether it be via video or Zoom or Skype or whatever it is, your preference, like whatever that is, everybody's yearning for that contact, you know, that we're not getting from the physical world. That's right. Exactly right. Can I please tell you? Because I don't think I've even told Andrew this. And so this is a mentorship podcast on normal days for like the digital age, right? Um, but we try to own up when we learn things and we make mistakes. And I'd like to tell you what bullshit I pulled with Michael 
<laughs> that was so stupid. And what I'm going to do differently next time. I can't wait. Michael has uh, and his organization have an artist activist relief fund, which I applied for. And uh, he wrote, Michael, you wrote me personally on Sunday night, but I didn't know who you were. And he, to tell me I had received one. And so my dumbass just wrote back and was like, hey, if we can do anything for you, we'd love to have you on the podcast to amplify your work. You so graciously said, yes, I'll do it. And then I looked you up after that. And then I was like, oh, uh, we're not going to be <laughs> helping him at all. <laughs> we are the privilege of having you. <laughs> no, it, it, it all helps. It all helps. So um, thank you for having me on. Oh, of course, yeah. Oh, are you kidding me? It's an honor. It's our honor. It's our pleasure. Jess, I'm looking at your bookshelf behind you and seeing oh, what yeah. books we share in common. So I see Naomi's No Logo. Yeah. That's not Joe pa- That's not Joe Papp's biography, is it? No, uh-uh. No. Great, great bookshelf. Great set of books. Thank yes. you. It, it's like 14 feet wide and I need to, it's expanding. I'm out of room. I need more bookshelves in my life. Mm. <laughs> Listen, what's it, what's it like being at home right now? I mean, just stuck in the stuck in the in the doldrums. Or you, I mean, I know you have a, a young son, right? I do. Who's running around here? Who might be making some noise? Oh, that's um, fantastic! Yeah, um, we actually left the city on on Friday and went up to my parents' house in Westchester. Oh, nice. I think you know, for a seven year old child, it's, you know, for any child, it's challenging you know, to be in the house all day long. And um, now I, I you know, read they closed the New York City playground, so we were at least going to the playground. And running around, you know, on the on the soccer field or the basketball court, you know, but now those are closed. I feel for, you know, people who have young children and who are stuck in the house. So we're actually at my yeah. parents' house currently, um, but they are upstairs. We are downstairs and they have a separate entrance and we have a separate entrance. I haven't seen them okay. in a week. Um, so we are quarantining for another week and then we will integrate merge <laughs> but yes, I'm, I'm, I'm sleeping in my childhood bedroom at 41 years old which yes. is uh, with, with, with our child which is a bizarre experience that's so wild does it still look like your childhood bedroom from home are you has, did it, it has changed at all as mom it hasn't been painted in you know 30 years <laughs> that's got to be a bit of a it's trip exactly right the same. it's wild and, and to sleep with our child in my bedroom it's like you know i have memories where everything where like you know where the madonna poster was yeah. and like where you know the baseball card storage was so it's um how are you all doing Woo, it's something else to be stuck in a 750 square foot apartment in New York City for so long. It's wild. And I thought about leaving also. Um, my parents are passed away. So like I'd have to go stay with friends in Kansas City where I'm from. But then I got to start all over again, like you just said, right? With the two weeks of quarantine. So I don't know. I'm just going to stick it out. I think I'm kind of the same boat. You're in the same place, Andrew? Are you, are you in the city? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, so I'm in midtown Manhattan. So me and my wife have a we're pretty sizable one bedroom. So we you know, we have two big rooms where we can kind of isolate ourselves if we need to be apart. Or, you know, she, we find ourselves reading a lot. We've Thank God we actually really like each other. So it works out well for us. Yeah. And the big question is like, out of all this, is there, you know, um, well, many big questions, but like, are there more kids or more divorces? And we will, we'll see what happens. Exactly. Right. Right. Like it's, it's a weird thing too. I was listening to something else the other day. They were like, is the domestic violence rate going to go up? Is the murder rate going to go up? Or is it going to be baby making time? You yeah, know, we're just going to get nothing to do. Let's, uh, let's fuck like rabbits. You know, that's one of those things. I like, read in France that they are, um, giving hotel rooms for free to uh, victims of domestic violence who don't want to be in their homes, which I think is really, really important. And I think, yeah, the, the scary part is, you know, there's so many people that stay in, you know, stay in your home with so many people in this country who are afraid of their homes. Right. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. For many reasons, you know, children, adults, and um, 
yeah. hope you know, hope that they can get through it because that's just not easy. No, the Cri- yeah. Crime Victims Treatment Center, which is here in New York City, which is a place that I raise funds for and I'm an activist around. They're doing everything from their homes, you know, all their their licensed psychologists and social workers and everything, and they're setting up a bunch of partnerships and a bunch of you know really life saving, honestly, like you know programs in this in this moment, which is yeah. amazing. They're the most amazing place ever. So I'm just always I'll never stop talking mm. about them. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So I'm still an Andrew. So for everybody listening, sometimes we do like, hey, tell me about your background. Um, but we try to skip that most times. Um, and definitely today we have a lot to talk about. So guys, if you're listening to this, we're going to put the links to a couple articles that the Times has done about Michael. And I think we've got a good courts article that'll give you a little background on what he has done in his life. But I think we want to get right to the good stuff because we got a lot of awesome contributions from TM2C listeners today. So when we asked Michael to come on, Michael said in his onboarding forum, he wanted to know what else people could do, specifically, I think, in the artist and activist relief space during the crisis. And I wondered if you guys wouldn't mind diving into first a little bit, like unpacking the problem, like the actual challenge we're facing that's been revealed, I guess, by by this um, crisis. And I don't have an answer. I'm just curious what you see as the underlying problem you know, that's, that is causing us to ask this question. Yeah. I, um, well, first to give you some background, I come from the arts. I worked in the theater when I was a child in New York city and for a Broadway general manager in the nineties, we opened a little show 29 years ago or eight years ago called blue man group downtown. Oh, um, I was a- 15. Oh my um, God. And so I, um, I went to UCLA to study theater and, and, um, the arch is my home. I was a my my greatest success story. I think besides the the growth of our child is I was an usher at the Delacorte Theater um, in Central Park as a teenager, That's and so now I cool. proudly um, sit on the Young Partners Board at the Public Theater, and that you know it's been awesome. my home right um, for twenty five plus years. So in my whole life, I've you know I've been around artists and I've been around activists, and my parents were activists and are activists, and I was raised that way in this home. Um, and we've already known as artists and as people who, you know, uh, who live in this space that, um, the arts has never been supported in this country in a significant way. And there's so many people who are living, you get paycheck to paycheck, but like day to day, right? Like phone call to phone call, you know, gig to gig, audition to audition or commission to commission or independent contractor engagement, independent contractor engagement. And, um, when, Paula Mendoza, who's my partner and has been worried about this since since January and Corona, and we've been talking about it for a long time and been following it very, very closely since January. Uh, there's a lot of problems, right, there's, that we've that are being unveiled globally, but particularly in, in this country, the safety nets just aren't there. And they're not there economically. They're not there in the healthcare system, not there in the education system, not there in the food security systems, not there in the legal system. They're just not there. And, and we thought... And we, and we thought that they were there um, or, or we were told they were there. And, and right. in, in, in our greatest disaster uh, of our generation, um, and I, you know, I watched the buildings fall at 9-11. You know, I had yeah. friends who died you know, in those buildings and I watched us go to war and two wars I thought were unjust and see thousands of our you know, members of our generation come home in body bags and kill innocent 100,000 of Iraqis and Afghanis. So we've seen disaster. Right. Um, but this certainly is at a different scale, sadly. I I was just getting, you know, I saw Broadway and I saw the hesitancy of the mayor of New York to close Broadway. 
think for a lot of reasons, it was a complicated decision. Um, yeah. I don't know if any of us, you know, in hindsight, could say one way or the other, was it too soon, too late? Um, I saw film productions um, you know, ending and being packed up and going back home. I saw artists um, that... The hardest part for me is the artists who I saw who were like living, you know, Broadway actors, off-Broadway actors. I think for many of us who don't know that space, think like most of them are making a lot of money. I don't know what minimum is anymore, but like, let's say minimum off-Broadway is like a thousand bucks a week or 900 bucks a week or Broadway is maybe 1500 bucks a week. That's gratuitous. But yes. So after taxes and after your agent and after your manager, you're coming home with like 600 bucks, 700 bucks a week. Maybe. Maybe, right? And so that doesn't pay the rent. And, you know, if, if you lose, if the show closes tomorrow. And so then I, and the hardest part for me was that for a lot of my artist friends and activist friends, the side hustles, right, the teaching gig at the middle school or the, or the private teaching lessons or the commission you were doing for the, you know, airport in some local city across the country just dried up, just finished. And and I spoke to a lot of my friends in the restaurant and hospitality business, and, and there was an understanding um, that they were being hammered and they were being, there was no relief and they had to close their doors. Um, but I think the general public understands that those people need support. I don't know if people understood or understand the need that artists and activists, um, how fragile, right, their, their, their foundation of security is. And I just felt at the time that um, could I just put money, right, that like just puts cash into the hands of people just like pay for groceries, and so our company, um, we have a small little foundation. Um, we put up ten grand, and um, and then uh, we told a friend. They said, "Well, we'll match your ten grand." We told another friend, "We'll match your ten grand." And now, you know, I, we I'm, fingers crossed. But um, we are almost at a quarter million dollars in money that we've raised in thirteen days. That's amazing. And and, and for Good us, for like. You know, there's Invisible Hand, who's another agency, this task force, this pop culture collaborative, there's a filmmaker fund who've given money. And we're, we're not taking a nickel, just to be really clear. We are 100% of the dollars that we raise are going to artists and activists, the, the stamps, right? Here, 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 here are the stamps, <laughs> here, yeah. here are the envelopes, right? right? Here, <laughs> here's the pen. Here's the blank. Here's so so you, 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 you've got your son. You've got your son working around the clock diligently. The checks, right? Here's the blank checks, right? Like, um, here's, you know, here's the, here's the checkbook in case we need more checks. Um, oh, right, right. Every dollar, the, the stamps we're paying for, the, you know, the, our yeah. time is, is free. And so um, we just want the money to get the door. We, we moved $90,000 um, in the first six days. We'll move another ninety thousand dollars tomorrow on Friday tomorrow, um, and we just PayPal and Venmo and Cash App and checks. Uh, we just want to at least give like the, the, the worst story I've heard. So I've heard some hard ones, um, but the one that really just hit me and it's probably going to stick with me for a long time is we gave two hundred and fifty dollar grant to an artist in, in Brooklyn, and, and she replied, "Thank you so much for giving." This grant, it means so much. Um, I've already split it three ways with two other artists to buy groceries for the week. Um, and that, you know, you know, Jess and Andrew, I mean, you're, you know, this is the world you live in. You know, as artists, that's who we are, right? Um, we are we are compassionate human beings. We are community driven. We take care of each other. Um, and that kind of beauty. Another artist who is one of my favorite poets in the world, he's like, I'm going to take that money and I'm going to buy um, food at the local restaurant for the hospital workers. 
mm. even though he needs food and he needs yeah. to take care of his family. So mm-hmm. um, I know it's not a lot. I know we don't need it. You know, we don't need a pat on the back. We don't need thank yous. Um, we just want to get money uh, as quickly as we possibly can um, to artists and activists. Um, so at least maybe they can get to that government check and maybe get through the month of April and then have some like, like some breath to look at May and say, okay, is, how can I make this this work? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, right. I'm glad you mentioned the fragility angle. Uh, I would, I, I'm so excited we can discuss this because I just kind of can't get my brain around it. So in a lot of my work, I tend to be looking at the entire theater, theater industry, um, particularly outside of New York, right? Like the arts and the way it propels economies, local economies and all that stuff. And of course, like a component of this is all of these <sighs> small theaters around the country you know, the process has always been, even before this happened, hey, artist, you're real passionate and you make incredible things. Come and move into this underdeveloped neighborhood, turn it around for no money, no health insurance, and then get the fuck out. We're going to raise the rent. Yeah. Go do it somewhere else. Right. And so then those theaters now are basically facing total collapse because of not only the financial aspect, but like you don't have any bandwidth to do any more than put on great art. Right. You certainly can't contingency plan or anything like that. Yeah, no, there's, you know, uh, we have, we have a quote when you walk in our office and uh, Paul Robeson, who I think maybe is Mm -hmm. the greatest actor artist of of our history. Paul Robeson said years ago, um, artists, the gatekeepers of truth. We are civilization's most radical voice. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, we constantly, during moments like this, call on the artists. And we're seeing that so fast, right? We're right. seeing, you know, Dave Matthews in his living room. We're seeing, you know, iHeartRadio putting together a concert. Maybe some of these things are too quick. Um, but, you know, I'm talking to artists, muralists in New Orleans. B. Mike, uh, who's one of the great American muralists who's based in New Orleans, um, about, you know, can we put up a 5,000-foot mural outside a hospital that's permanent yeah. of, of gratitude, right, to cool. hospital workers. Yeah. Shepard Ferry's team has already put out some artwork yesterday. We're working with them and trying to, you know, amplify that with a group called yeah. Amplifier. So artists always come first. And 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 they are, you know, they they, they do give light, um, you know, in, in very, very dark times. Um, you know, Shakespeare, they talk about, you know, when during Shakespeare time, some of, the, some of his greatest plays were written, you know, during some of the most the darkest, plague, yeah. you know, moments of the plague, you know, during the history of, 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 the, of Europe. Um, so... So I believe that the hard part, I think, for our country um, is how to make sure the artists survive right? Right. and how right. uh, they make it. And, and the ones who are at the greatest of their careers, maybe Broadway or, or New York City or, or Hollywood or Netflix or you know, big TV shows, um, but they have to survive, too, because, you know, most of them, it's like it's like 95 percent of the NFL players no one's ever heard of. Um, right. And then like 5%, you know, the same thing in the arts, right? Mm-hmm. 95% of artists, you never yeah. heard of them before. They're, all, they're not all, you know, Hollywood actors who win Oscars. Um, most of them are just living artists who work and struggle and fight and get another audition and get a three episodes of this show and get some residuals and get a six month run in, in New York or Cleveland mm-hmm. or Des Moines mm-hmm. or Houston. And, yeah, and right. you know, I, I but we need them, right? And the activists, right? They're so deeply connected because they're a reflection of each other. Like we need them to survive. Uh, and and the, in this country, like they're they're so easily thought of as as expendable. Um, with you know Germany's already released a five hundred million dollar fund oh, um, to support the artists, and now you know like some states, California did, some cities, San Francisco, Seattle, I think New York might have done something, but there's still like a million dollars for. 
60,000 artists. Oh my God, right. You know, we, we, we have 6,148 applications for $250 grants. And right. we stopped on Saturday and did a waiting list. And we have 1,300 people who still want to put their name on a waiting list. Oh, boy. After 6,000 yeah. applications. Um, this is devastating. And, and then how do the institutions return? And how do the, the, the large and small institutions return? Uh, it's going to take uh, you know, a long time. I'm committed to it. Um, and, and I will do everything I possibly can. I'll beg as much as I can to bring more money from people who I know who have it. Um, but people who do have it, this is the time to give. Like, this mm-hmm. is the moment to deplete uh, your foundation or sunset instead of 10 years, sunset it in seven or sunset mm-hmm. it in five. Mm-hmm. Um, to, I hope we never see a moment like this again. Um, but we have to respond in this moment in a significant way and take care of those who, who do give us hope and who do give us light and who do give us you know, joy and who do give us laughter. I sit every single night at, at 11 o'clock, I take a little mezcal, sit in front of my computer, <laughs> and I watch live music. I watched Florence and the Machine and, and, nice. and uh, Lollapalooza yeah. in Brazil. I watched um, uh, Mumford and Sons last night in Germany. I watched Dave Matthews two nights ago. Yeah. I just sit in front and watch live music just to like feel the vibrations of that live performance on a little screen, but like just to feel the vibrations of Florence Welsh like dancing across the stage in Brazil, you know, when times were good yeah. um, and, and, and wanting that to, to, to come again. Thank you for putting a little clarity uh, in my mind, Michael, as far as like what you're doing and what your organization is doing. Um, but 250 bucks a pop, which I find unbelievably fruitful, but also not enough. It's never enough, right? Yeah. And the thing for us is like, we try to make this application, I mean, just, you know, as simple as possible, because we also don't want to build a level of trust. We, 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 are, we are building now a reaction to a horrific problem um, that is also breaking trust, uh, which is scary for the, for, the, for the residual effects of that and the PTSD of that. Um, do I trust you that you were really quarantined? Do I trust you that you don't have it and mm-hmm. that if I'm in your presence, I'm going to get it? Do I trust to go back into the theater or sporting event or a concert or a club? Um, do I trust, you know, you see people walking in the city and it's like, Everyone's so weary of each other, like step away from each other, walk away from Mm -hmm. this level of trust. So our process was like, we trust that you're an artist. We trust that you're an activist and we trust that you need the money. That's it. Here's the money as quickly as we can. Um, And so I think also in this recovery moment, we can't ask too many questions. We can't interrogate for too long. People Mm -hmm. need, like you said, Jess, people ask me when they, when I get a lot of emails, I, I send them myself, um, uh, like what can I do? Just make art. Yeah. Just keep making art. That's yeah. what we need you to do right now. We need you to pay your rent and buy some groceries and just keep making art. And you know, I mean, I make me emotional, but you know, someone um, sent back a receipt of from Blick uh, mm. material, I guess Blick Art mm-hmm. Store, for one hundred and seventy-one dollars. Yeah. And like, I took two fifty and I bought art supplies. I said, I don't need, the, I don't need the receipt. I don't. I trust you. Just make art. Like I'm not. I, just go and make art and, and, and share that art and uplift that art. Because, I, I, you know, Andrew, you're right. And we always come first and we always don't get enough and we always don't ask for much. But that's also okay. That's, that's, that's why yeah. our heart, that's why our hearts, are, that's why the gifts that you all have and the gifts that so many artists have is so beautiful because the heart is open just to give. It's, and in, 
in this moment, it's like painful as it is, how do we just keep opening that heart as much mm-hmm. as we possibly can and let out whatever, whether it's pain, whether it's fear, whether it's sorrow, whether it's joy, whether it's happiness, whether it's dancing with D-Nice at Club Quarantine on Saturday night, or whether it's watching, you know, Florence the Machine online, like just yeah. open that heart. So beautiful. You know, 250 bucks doesn't sound like much, but like you were saying, the stories are so much more complex than that. And like, I know for me, I just lost, a sh- like you were talking about in the very beginning, right? In a day, lost God, so yeah. much work. I can't even, I can't wrap my brain around it. But, you know, in this month, as long because I've been able to stay on my feet and I got a little help from a couple different places, you know, within the month, hopefully I'm working with the Guthrie to give them basically our give back concert model and take their gala online so they do not close down. Awesome. I know how to make a live musical every week and have all those plans laid out. Do you know what I mean? And so fingers crossed, God willing, you know what I mean? This it, Within a month, I'll be donating that money right back to you to give to someone else that needs yeah. to stay on their feet and I get the shit made. And it's a big deal. Like that 250, that's why I'm still sitting here making this podcast today. Do you know what I mean? It's a huge deal. It really is. And it's a great testament that you don't have to move and shake the entire earth to make a big difference, you know? Yeah, we're just trying, you know, trying to do something. And and, and, and what we're seeing now is, um, you know, uh, past 12 hours, I raised $55,000 from three people. The word <laughs> is beginning to spread a little bit that yeah. people are beginning to hear about it and cool. and send me email. I got an email today. I, I, you know, a friend of theirs wants to give $20,000. Awesome. Um, you know, generosity inspires generosity. Yep. Uh, and, and absolutely. Absolutely. And so hopefully um, whoever can give anything, it's not just us. I don't care where you give. I don't care if you give a hug to, you know, a person who you know just came out of the hospital and needs, you know, to feel, you know, healthy again. Um, anything that people can give right now, uh, we need it. Yeah. And that brings up, I think, a great transition into some of these um, uh, sort of audio messages we got. The question always for me is, the band-aiding is lovely and amazing and really needed, but like how do, and it goes back to my original question, how do we start changing the underlying problem that gets us here? Because pandemics will always happen and there will always be arts crises. And so uh, on your behalf, Michael, we asked everybody in our social media, you know, your question, which is what else can we do in this moment? And a lot of it was Surprise, not surprisingly, actually, future facing. So let's go to one of uh, the submissions. Hey, TM2C podcast and Michael. My name is Jermaine Blackwell. I am a creative professional who currently lives in New York City. I saw your question on Instagram and I thought I would reply. I think with the hard reset that the world is currently experiencing, this is a great opportunity for not only inclusion, but equity. This is the time for people of means and privilege, the gatekeepers, to use their position in life to help amplify not only the artist, but the other advocates and firestarters of the world that often find their work pilfered or simply dismissed by the dominant culture. People of color, especially women of color and queer people of color, understand the world in a way that most people of means and privilege couldn't even fathom. And until those gatekeepers not only understand but move into action, the world will continue to get what it's gotten. Never forget, ally is a verb. Thank you so much, and I really do look forward to seeing what you do next. This is uh, pretty resonant with a lot of stuff I read about you, Michael, I think, right? Ally versus advocate and all of that good stuff. Yeah, Jermaine, um, I appreciate the perspective. Our company, the Soze Agency, um, we have three core values, compassion, authenticity, and equity. 
Uh, and so I am giving the company away over the course of seven years. I've given 68% of the company to the workers over the course of the first four years. And every year I give an equal amount and then I'm out, um, particularly to build equity for women and women and people of color in particular. Um, so certainly I agree with you, Jermaine, wholeheartedly. I, I think the one thing that's, um, I can get very political and, and unapologetically political. Please, please do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There, there, um, I, I think there is a division in this country for centuries around how federal government should work and how the state government should work. And um, in this moment, the federal government has failed and is failing. And state governments um, are doing the absolute best they can with limited amount of resources. Mm-hmm. Considering you know how much federal income tax you pay compared to how much state income tax you pay. So you know how much money is going to the feds and how much money is going to the state or the city in New York City, as an example. And it, the, dis- the disproportion of a percentage of amount of money you pay for state income tax versus federal income tax is almost double or triple in some states. In some states, zero. So the federal government is failing and has failed. The challenge is is that we are seeing a despicable representation of the haves and the have-nots. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and a, a human being in the White House who is saying that um, you take care of yourselves and we're here for backup. Well, the backup hasn't shown up yet. And the backup is not a thousand-person hospital bed on the harbor of New York City. That is, that is not, while I respect and, and thank the, the men and women of armed services for providing those, th- th- that support, that is not nearly the support that is needed to fix this problem. Mm-hmm. The challenge is, is that if you look at Hurricane Katrina and President Bush, President Bush was defined by that moment as failing in that moment and FEMA failing in that moment to protect and save the American citizen who was dying, literally dying for our eyes on top of their houses, begging and yelling for help, and the yep. federal government failing at that moment. This is a greater catastrophe. Sadly, we don't want to play one against another, but Sally was seeing more deaths in this than we did in Katrina. And the federal government is saying, you're on your own states and cities, call us if you need us. And then the companies, they're all calling us and they want to help and they're going to help. Well, none of those companies, well, not say none, 90% of those companies are not doing it for free. Mm -hmm. They're getting a contract from the federal government to make PPEs Mm -hmm. or to make ventilators or to make masks. They're not donating (laughs) GM isn't donating the ventilators, right? right? So they're getting a contract and a multi-billion dollar contract to do that work. So we're seeing this this system of the haves and the have-nots play out where you had 6.6 million people applied for unemployment this week, 3.3 million applied last week. It's 9.9 million Americans. They're estimating 43 million Americans a month will apply for unemployment. That's greater than the Great Depression by by multiples greater than the Great Recession. Scads, yeah. It's yeah. Not, not even close, right? We've never seen numbers. So 43 million Americans are unemployed, it will, may be unemployed because of this. And the federal government says, here's $1,200. And and here's 400 or 4,000 ventilators. Um, and good luck. Um, and we're doing a great job. Mm-hmm. My fear in the what Jermaine is, is raising on the equity piece is that our healthcare system is broken. Whether you like Medicare for all, or whether you like Bernie or like Biden, who are we going to vote for in the primaries? If there's still any, if there's still a primary in your state, it's pretty evident that the healthcare system is broken. I should not have to worry about um, getting a test for Corona if if I can't afford it, or if I'm undocumented, or if I don't have insurance. I shouldn't have to worry about getting Corona tested for Corona. And people are worried about that. In every other country in the world, including 
third world nations. Uh, they are testing as many citizens as want, who want to test. That's not happening here. And that is the problem, right? That people are, yeah. Donald yeah. Trump uh, resisted testing and to, to reduce the numbers so Wall Street uh, wouldn't collapse. And that's why we are seeing 5,000 people from yesterday to today to test positive because now we're finally testing, and not even enough people, but some people. Right. When I think of problems, I don't think of individuals as the problem. I think of as the system as the problem and healthcare and education, mm-hmm. criminal justice and so on. We have a systemic wealth gap in this country that is perpetuated by race, mm-hmm. that's perpetuated by sexism, that's perpetuated by ethnocentrism, and that is leaving a tremendous amount of people behind right now, right now. What do you do with 43 million people who are unemployed? We're go- we already have food lines and bread lines like we did in the 30s during the Great Depression. We'll see those extend mm-hmm. far beyond anything we've ever seen in this country. They just haven't hit yet, but they're going to hit in the next two, three weeks. Yeah. And it's oh, going yeah. pain- to be painful. We might run out of money to pay for unemployment, so I don't know how that system is going to stand up. And then the, 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 the big problem is the credit card, the, so- the student loan, and the housing cri- markets. How do they... St- no one's paying their student loans. No one's paying their credit card bills. And no one's going to pay their rent. So how do those institutions and how do those systems stay afloat? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to come crashing to a halt. And then I speak to my friends on the, on the, on the, land, on the landlord side of the building owner side. They're going to go to the banks and say, we, we can't pay you because we're not getting paid rent. And the banks, yeah. the banks are going to repossess a, a, a building or a home that nobody wants and no one wants to pay rent in. Right. So we're in yeah. for a long run. I think the ultimate solution is to get these jokers out of Washington and bring in some professionals who know what they're doing and who can make some much more uh, tougher decisions from a federal perspective. That's the, that's the beginning of this. And sadly, we have to wait, what is it, March, six months or seven months for that to happen. Ten months, yeah, whatever it is, yeah. Too long. <laughs> but Donald Trump has, has no idea what he is doing, like, literally no idea. No. Every day. I mean, every day you watch it. No idea. You watch him every day, just bungle and fumble and dither and blather and all the fucking words. Like, he just literally is just (laughs) making shit up every day. No idea. And you're just like, let the adults speak. Can you just let the adults speak, please? Because we're we're, we're going through something here. If you ask Barack Obama or George Bush or Ronald Reagan. Anybody else. How does a ventilator work? They could give you the answer. Andrew Cuomo can give the answer. Gavin Newsom can give you the Mm -hmm. answer. Pritzker can give the answer in Illinois. If you ask Donald Trump, tell me... Mr. President, how does a ventilator work? Like just, I'm not going to let you off the hook. Tell me exactly what it does. What does it do to the body? How does it work? Where does it go? How does it get placed? Can't answer the question, right? And even when they asked him, how is it to get tested? Which I don't believe he got tested. How does it get tested? No. He was like, oh, it's tough. That thing goes in your nose to the back of your mouth to get tested. (laughs) If you you put that in my nose, I would say they put a thing in my nose, the back of my mouth, and it hurt like hell. And you don't want to get this test. Because it hurts. So stay in your house. Um, but he couldn't answer the question. So I think the immediate answer is to get these jokers out of Washington. But this isn't a one election problem. This is a system yeah. problem. We have to. We have to build equitable systems of education, of health care, of housing, of jobs. Because it, 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 we're just further distancing ourselves of who has something, who doesn't have something. And, 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 and this is a moment I'm scared that we're going to see so many people left behind. Yeah. Right. Not that the disparity of wealth wasn't like egregious in the first place. You're like with education and things like that. You're, you're seeing people made stupid by the upper class to keep them down. 
I mean, you're seeing this all the time is like you're undereducating, you're filling, overfilling schools in underserved communities and you're seeing it's just it's, it's repetitious. You know, it is systemic. It is that thing that you go, why aren't we fixing these problems? Nobody's even addressing the problems. Think, think about think about this, Andrew, the the 6.6 million Americans applied for unemployment this week and the stock market today right now, Dow Jones right now, 6.6 million Americans, most in history is up yeah. today. How, yeah, fuck that. how, how can you have an economy that says we don't need those workers, right? If they're unemployed, we don't need them to make money. Right. And that's what we've built. We built an economy that has left the worker behind and taken care of the CEOs and the executives and the wall street bankers. And that's pretty f- sick that, um, yeah, that we have supported and continue to support and continue to bail out these people who you would think if I told you 6.6, 10 million people filed for unemployment this week, what would happen to the stock market? I would say 99% of people say it's going to go down. It's up. It's up all day. Yeah. Because that money's the money that you're supposed to have allocated to you. I read a thing the other day that was like the average American is going to get $1,200 in a stimulus check. Major corporations per one person in that major corporation get $18,000. And that's the dispersion of wealth that we're talking about here, guys. But that's, I mean, to go back to what you said originally in this co- part of the conversation, Michael, is that like class gap that you're not going to be able to ignore anymore is there's too much data coming. I don't know what the result of it is, but there's all that data in three months from now, these 6.6 million people with no health insurance and friends and family dying, like all the things that you could kind of ignore or like say, eh, I'll just keep plowing my way and, you know, I'll be fine. You can't, people can't, I don't think, right? You can ignore when you watch your family die or all of a sudden you get left without yeah. health insurance. And it's not like an artist problem or whatever, and, right? And, you know and, what I mean? And Trump, you know, early on was trying to play, oh, West Virginia is doing a good job, you know, because they have no cases. No, they had no tests. Right. <laughs> That's why they had no right. cases. And now they have plenty yeah. of cases and they will have even more cases. And so this idea that one state or one governor can do it better than the other because they are Democrats or they're Republicans is nonsense. Everybody has to do it the same. They treat every single right. human being in this country as a participant in our democracy and you don't favor one over the other. Just because New York City doesn't like you, Trump, doesn't mean you send more to Florida because they have a Republican governor. Because they're going to get – we – you know, if Florida called us and after we went through with what we went through and said, we need your help, we'd be there in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Right. And we, we would support them and help them in a heartbeat. Right. It's not the petulant child behavior that this like, I need to do favors for you because you weren't nice to me. You know what I mean? That's the man that we have in the office right now is like, you didn't call me and tell me I'm doing a good job. So I'm not going to give you things. And that's, you know, that's, that, that's, that's, I don't want to use the word because I don't want to get angry, but that's, um, you know, his maker will judge him when he's at his time. And that, that, that is... that's as sick as a human being yeah yeah and then talking about you know and we see things all the time but like talking about how 100 to 200,000 people dying in this country is doing a good job i saw a guy um uh, and we went for a hike last weekend and i saw a guy with a trump hat on make america great again hat on and i smiled at him and said hey hope you have a good day it's like what, what the guy in the white house doesn't understand is that i don't care if you voted for trump i don't care if you're republican I don't care if you're conservative. I could care less at this moment. I could care less where you stand politically. I want you to live. Bottom line, that's it. 
I don't care if you hate me. I don't care if you love me. I don't care if you don't know who I am. I don't care if you follow me on Twitter. I just want you to live. And you can vote for whoever you want to vote for in November. But I don't believe, I don't believe that this current administration had the best interest of the American people from day one of this virus hitting our country. I don't think they wanted us to die. I don't want to be that cynical. But I don't believe they had the best interest of the citizens and the people who are living here the undocumented people, I do not think that they have the best interest of us from day one. I think they're trying to hide this, prevent this, slow this down, to take care of Wall Street. They thought that would be the thing that would save our economy and protect us. And what they didn't realize was that this virus could care less about your economy, care less about your job, care, care less about your race, care less about your gender, your sexual orientation, your zip code, your city, your home, your state. If it's going to get you, it's going to get you. And every single person in this country and in this world should have the adequate treatment to survive. That's it. Whether you're 80 years old or eight years old. I don't want, I don't, I don't want, I see these stories of doctors having to make decisions of God, right? Having to like decide who lives and who dies. That doctor should never have that uh, decision to make. And someone said, oh, but this is like a war. I said, yeah, but that doctor didn't sign up for war. A doctor signed up for a work in a hospital in a peaceful nation. Right. A doctor who signed up for war, who's a, who's a medic in, a, in, in, in war, they are trained differently to understand how to make those decisions. A doctor in an ER right. in Brooklyn or in Cleveland or in Toledo was not trained to make decisions of God in the same way a medic is trained in the, in the, in the military. And that's the burden we're putting on our healthcare providers. And that is really, really unfair. But it also comes back around to the systemic problem, and it's like showing the cracks in in our in our facade, right? It's showing all the ugly people. It's showing you who's got who's who's about humanity and who's about politics, who's about the player, who's about the dollar bill. You know, you see those people, and you're starting to see them come out further and further and further away from the fold. And I think this is an interesting time to go on with your thing about like systematic change. See the truth for what it is: is that this needs to change. We're built on a house of it's a house of cards. Ultimately, you know, the economy is not the strongest thing because it's built on the middle class worker and you're alienating all of those people. And that's not even the, lo- the what you would call poor people, that's the right. low class. That's not even that. I'm talking about middle class, $150,000 a year, which used to be an adequate paycheck is, is poor. Those are our lower class citizens. And this is this is just exposing all of this disparity. And we just got to, you know, keep shining the magnifying glass and keep Fingers crossed that humanity will thrive. Yeah, Americans are good. You know, like we're good people. People are good. I'm, 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 I believe in human beings. I believe in um, this is a, a gut check moment for our nation of like how we're going to take care of each other. And, and it's hard because we're isolated and we're away from each other. But if you can just, you know, find something to do in that isolation to reach out to a friend, check in on them or find a digital website that you can send a postcard to a hospital worker or donate to a cause. Or My kid does a Zoom dance party every day with his class that he started with his first grade class. And they just dance from 4 to 4.30 every day. And like, can, we, can, can, we, can we use this moment to like really, really decide how we're going to take care of each other? Uh, and... And I, we've been divisive since slavery. Like this is, we're not, not, not all of a sudden like, oh, this country is divisive, right? Surprise. We've done a lot of divisive things as a nation. Um, this is not new, but we are entering into a new era of, as Jermaine said, of 
people of color and women as in terms of becoming majority of this country, power shifting, people are scared of power shifting. Now with this, even more power shifting, people holding on to power and money and $4 trillion and $6 trillion, moving massively quickly. Um, so I think as artists, just to sort of bring us back to where we began, like as artists, how do we just ground us in this moment and, and hold each other? Like we're gonna be okay. We're gonna we're gonna lose a lot of people. It's gonna it's gonna hurt, and we're gonna have to hold those people right. And in, in in the work that we do, but our job is like to just bring 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 the the optimism and the and the hope and the pain and the sorrow and just represent it in the most authentic ways possible so people can have something to push through. There's an amazing friend of mine, Valerie Carr, who's a Sikh woman uh, who lost her uncle in the temple in Wisconsin. She texted me yesterday and she said, mm. I need to talk to you. And, and, and she has this great speech. She gave a TED Talk and she had this great speech where after Trump, um, everyone was sort of like so upset and angry, didn't know what was going to happen to this country. She said, like childbirth, I don't want to you know, quote her because she's so good. And she'll watch her TED Talk, Valerie Carr, K-A-U-R, she says in childbirth, you have to push and breathe um, and push the canals of darkness to get out into the light. Um, and even during that push, you still have to breathe and you have to push out through the dark into the light. And like maybe this is our moment of pushing uh, into the light, as she yep. says. So I don't want to take her words because her words are so much more poetic than anything I could ever give. But this could be a moment of pushing. Uh, we actually, this is great because one of the other questions you asked, Michael, was wh- who else are who who else are working on the front lines and doing great things? And uh, our friend Antoine Ramon from the Broadway cast of Hamilton uh, decided to jump in and tell us about something that he's been a part of that he really loves. So here we go. So I want to tell you about Liz Kimball, L-I-Z-K-I-M-B-A-L-L. You can find her here on Instagram. She has been leading what she uh, a hashtag Creative15 that I have been participating in. And each day there's on average of 35 Zoom participants from all over the world, from Germany to New York, California, everywhere. Uh, it's been really, really nice. And what she is allowing for us is time for us to be creative amongst all of the chaos that is existing in the world. And it's been a very nice daily practice uh, that I've, that I've been participating in. So that's someone I want you to look, look out for. <laughs> all right. May this find you in good health and spirits. We'll put the link in the show notes, you guys. Hi. What's up, Mateo? What's up, man? <laughs> Andrew. What else have you seen around you guys? You too, Andrew, because I haven't even gotten to sh- ask you. You guys seen anything else like what Liz Kimball's doing that you just thought was pretty extraordinary? Resources being given to people, cool, inventive, creative, caring stuff like Michael was talking about. Yeah, I mean, I, I love. I don't check out the Creative Fifteen. Um, I thought you know what D, what D Nice did was incredible, and the you know Club Quarantine, um, which was super yeah. fun, mm-hmm. happening again. Um, you know, I I think there's. Uh, the living room concert, I thought like John Legend's first concert, I thought was super cool, and that sort of you know inspired others to do, cool. do more. So to see artists in that, you know, I know there's more coming. Some folks reached out to me, and there's some like big name artists who are going to do some small living room stuff, which is cool. There's a, a cool group of, of comedians who have started something to like you know get the comedian in the, in the improv world. Um, they're out of New York nice. um, and Lower East Side, so. 
you know, there's so much. Um, there's an artist who I spoke to yesterday in California who's, you know, donating, you know, five of her pieces and giving the money to charity. I see a lot of visual artists donating pieces and doing that work. That's awesome. Yeah, so, you know, we got a lot more to do. Andrew, what, have you seen anything that you in, inspired you? Yeah, we actually had a guest on here the other day named Nathan Chen, and he is part of the Seattle uh, Symphony oh, Orchestra. And his his kind of cohorts and everybody they're doing, they're doing kind of their own um, at home kind of a living room kind of version, but they'll record their own version of their own piece or a piece that they're practicing on or working on in their house. And they're recording that and then putting that out as um, digital content. So I'm loving like, yeah, we're seeing a lot of this stuff. And we asked this question on here a little bit, and I want to pose this to you, Michael what are we going to get from this, right? You have so much new content. You have so much excitement around all of these things. What is the next step? Is this an evolutionary time in the arts um, based out of necessity? I mean, is is it the mother of invention? Are we going to create some new kind of platform? Are we going to create some new digital space that we don't even know about yet that people are going to come to from this from this crisis? Yeah. I mean, Paola and I were talking and you know, she was a co-founder of a resistance revival chorus um, and they've been doing some cool stuff. We were talking about like, you know, who's going to make new art and who's going to create new art. Yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine before this call. Challenges like the energy, right? And, and, and how do you have the mental strength to like the news and the kids and the homeschool? And like, I got to take my kid outside <clears throat> to go play recess and all. It's like nonstop in the work and the jobs and it's like nonstop. And so who's, who's turning it off and sitting in their studio and painting something. Who's on the piano and writing a new song or writing, writing a new Hamilton? Right. You know, who's writing the new you know, pop record? Who's writing the new play? Who's doing the new dance routine in their house and, and, and practicing with their friends, you know, through Zoom or, you know, Google Hangouts? I do believe, you know, some, some of the greatest companies in, in the world have happened during recessions. Some of the greatest art is made right, during deep depression and during times of, of sadness. Some of the arts made during great times of joy. I, I do think we will look back at this time as a reflection and say, like, wow, that was made in someone's basement uh, at nine o'clock at night. Um, in their pajama, in their pajama pants. pants right? <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I hope I hope there's a there's a beauty created and and just just authentic uh, reflection of whatever this time is. Maybe it's not beauty. Maybe it's pain. Um, but just something that, that that keeps us grounded in what's real and don't don't run away from it. We as artists don't run away from emotion. We're not afraid of it. We can channel it, right? We can take it and compartmentalize it and perform with it or use it or in our, in our work or you know, go to the therapist and talk to the therapist about it. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I hope there's, there's just an authentic reflection. I think the question about the future is a great segue to our very last question as we start to wrap this up. So uh, I will turn it over to Julia. Hi, my name is Julia Johannes and I'm an actress and a wildlife photographer. I have two questions for you. My first is, do you have any grant money set aside specifically for small theaters that cultivate a lot of new work? Companies like Prospect Theater Company, The Tank, Playwrights, uh, theaters whose mission statements include fostering young and diverse writing talent. These writers are the future of the arts, so I feel that if we support them through this, the arts will have a future. My second question is more of a tangent question, but I'm curious if you have any thoughts. For activists, do you have any idea on how we can get people to pay attention and continue to care about the causes that we're fighting for when everyone's collective attention span is so consumed by the pandemic and the immediate survival needs for them and their families? 
for example, in the case of fighting against climate change, how do we get people to still make climate conscious choices when their budgets are tight? And oftentimes the easier, more immediate answer goes against what we're fighting for. How do we convince them to still care? Thank you. I chewed two, two of my chips. <laughs> One is, yes, we're not just giving grants to individuals, but we're also getting applications from institutions or small institutions, from small theater companies, from small art studios, and definitely they're being considered. Um, and I will look for, I think it said Prospect Theater Company. And please, Julia, um, if you have not applied, send your info on the waiting list so we can see it. And people, anyone can apply um, at wearearesoze.com, W-E-A-R-E-S-O-Z-E.com. You'll see on the top artists and activists relief fund. And if anyone wants to donate, you can also donate through that. It's a link there as well. We'll put the links up in the show notes, Thank guys. you. In terms of, and yes, they're critically important, Julia, um, the small institutions, the small theaters, the community theaters, the community classes for kids. And I, I grew up in that, right? And my kid grows up in that in Brooklyn. And I recognize the, the critical uh, importance of those small organizations. Um, in terms of how do we sustain this um, or, or what happens to the larger sort of movements as we have these, this to worry about in budget, I, I think that we, the values is what's important and the issues can be uh, worked on if the values are right. I've traveled from the poorest countries in the world and met some of the happiest people. I've seen some of the poorest mm-hmm. people on the planet uh, do some of the most extraordinary things on the environment, on healthcare, on education, on food security. I think that when we have less, we need to get more creative. You know that when you're an independent filmmaker or when you're a young playwright mm-hmm. or when you're mm-hmm. a small acting company. You say, we got 700 bucks put on a play. We're going to do it. <laughs> We're gonna make yep. we're, we're, right, we're, right. we're, we're gonna make it happen because because we love it and we believe in it. And so while I know that the economics of this matter uh, and people are hurting, I do believe that when we have less, we can do more. Um, and if our values are right, if we believe in empathy, we believe in compassion. If we believe in equity, uh, if we believe in community, uh, I believe that we can do more even during when times are tough. My grandfather lived with the Great Depression and would stand online in his past, but he would tell me when I was when he was alive, he'd stand online of you know the, the the food distribution centers and you know not have enough food to bring home, but would you know stop by his friend's house and drop off some food for his friend and whatever he could give, he would share. And we're going to have to build a stronger sharing economy where we have something we share and we are in community with each other. So if we have a little extra. Um, we pass it on. And that's what we try to do with this fund. We had a little extra. We try to pass it on and inspired others who had a little extra to pass it on. There are plenty of people in this country who still have a little extra uh, that can pass it on. And don't ask for anything in return. Don't ask for a thank you. Don't ask for a hug. Don't ask for a sense of gratitude. Just do it out of the goodness of your heart because it makes you feel good, not because of what you get back in return. So yes, I believe that we can fight uh, climate change. And yes, I believe that we can fight gender inequities and, and racial inequities and education inequities, um, even when we have less. Um, I hope I hope that we don't turn against each other um, because we're, we're fighting for, for smaller amounts of, of things than we were getting in the past. Mm. Um, let's just uh, dig deep and, and, and try to share what we have and get through it. And then when we get through it, we can go back to theater and go back to the concerts and go back to the sporting events and the clubs and, and you know, and, and give each other... A deep hug because we miss those. Right? <laughs> 
It's going to be the fucking best day in New York City. You know, the first day of spring when like everybody goes out in their dresses and their shorts and like it's the most magical. That day when we can come out of our apartments is going to be hopefully the best. I can't Exactly right. Hug on WhatsApp. Yeah. For a walk. Um, But I appreciate you Um, both. Amazing. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Thank you very much. We appreciate your work. We appreciate your mind, man. Thank you very much. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you all. Absolutely. You will. Stay safe out there, right? You too. never been so excited he's excited for a, a, I can't this uh, I, didn't, I can't even talk <laughs> yeah I, I, I can't even talk I can't believe he said yes first of all I can't believe my dumb ass was like I don't know who you are but you look amazing and you're doing this cool thing come on our podcast and this guy was like yes with everything he's done in his life and ugh, it just lived up to every expectation I had he's I crazy. on the other hand am of a different camp than you are. I'm oh, not surprised really? Do that tell. He, I'm, Do tell. I am not on. I am. I don't think that I'm amazed that he came on. Uh huh. People want to get on here. They don't want to bullshit about the same old stuff. I don't want to tell yeah. you my story. I want to tell you yeah. what about change. I want to tell you how to change the game. And you know, you can read about Michael Smolak. Like he's a fucking prolific activist. He is a. He's a change maker. He's a fucking. He's a fucking brilliant human being. And to hear this man talk is. And I say eloquent but he is a leader it is like listening to somebody you want to follow and you just want to chat with all day long talk yet another theater person again too by the way right totally from the theater uh only yep, going absolutely. to prove yet again what what i'm so grateful for with michael is that uh, there's a lot of knee-jerk reacting right now because of course we're all just trying to survive and by and large my experience has been ev- the arts are being forgotten and the very real experience of of whole fuck ton of people around the country suddenly left without being able to make their livelihoods, you know, make art or even have a paycheck um, is a huge deal, but it's not being talked about. And so the just even the just mere fact that that's where he put his attention is extraordinary. And it's really it's really moving. And it's also really inspiring. And and to talk about the fragility, and this is kind of what opened my eyes to it. And I really didn't think about it this way until this conversation. And I'm being deadly honest here, not just for bullshit, like for the show. I honestly, you guys were talking about the fragility of the industry. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I have never seen such fragility in this industry than I have right now. Because mm-hmm. when the rest of the when the rest of the cookie starts to crumble and you start to see the cracks as we discussed, if you start to see the facade, the first people to go are your industry workers, they're your artists, they're the people you fucking uh, marginalize in your entertainment, right? So you're like yeah. you you take for them for granted by watching them on television. You're like, oh my god, you're making tons of money, you're doing these things. You go to a Broadway show, you pay your you know seventy to five hundred dollars a seat, and you sit there and you go boom boom boom. You're worried about yourself. I get that. If we just just take one step back, and even my friends, I, I didn't even I didn't even have the foresight foresight to think that like, oh my god, my my friends are being, you know, yeah, we're out of work, but I'm always out of work, so I'm always thinking <laughs> like, oh fuck, that's just me. And me and my yeah. wife talked about it the other day. Me and me and the wife talked about it the other day, and she we were like, she goes, you know how to do this. You're trained to do this. You, this is what you do. Mm-hmm. I went into a, a world of consistency and normalcy and a weekly paycheck. We we know as artists how to survive. Mm-hmm. This is different. There's there's no opportunity. That's the problem. So mm-hmm. making your own stuff and getting it out there just to have a release is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And you need to keep doing that. And thank God people like Michael, thank God people like Michael are out there giving some small pittance to the community to be able to, you know, carry these people through this difficult time. 
And let's let's take a, something he said as a mantra, not a small pittance. We can do more with less. That He said that, and that struck me so deeply because I think that is at the base of being an artist and a creator, right? Is we, it's sort of that thing that Anne Bogart always talks about that like we need fences and restrictions and we need to destroy the thing we made and start all over again. And that 250 is the, the perfect example of we can do more with less, yeah, right? absolutely. Guys, please do not forget to follow at Michael Skolnick. That is S-K-O-L-N-I-K. Follow him and uh, wearesoze.com to get on the waiting list for the Artists and Activists Relief Fund. This is a brilliant organization. You guys go on there. I know there's a bit of a waiting list, but they are doing their best to get all of these things to you, for you. Go for it. And again, I just want to reiterate, Michael is literally reading every single one of these himself he emailed me personally personally this is not you know this is not some fly-by-night thing this is a real thing that they really care about um and i have no doubt based on what he said that they are gonna have uh, more money pretty quickly and so that they'll be able to open up that waiting list so get on over there humanity at its finest humanity at its finest head to twitter and follow tm2c podcast that's us to ask your questions for our upcoming guests we're gonna keep booking amazing people to come on this podcast people who are doing incredible things in this incredibly shitty time so that we all together can have a little bright spot in our days and if you know someone like that tell us about it you know what that's it for this episode of take me to coffee with michael skolnick and you know what now it's your turn one check out new episodes every tuesday on your favorite podcasting platform two for special bonus content including being able to see michael son mateo jump up and say hi to us join our coffee club over at patreon www.patreon.com slash tm2c podcast your contribution helps us to continue to make this podcast for you with you and completely ad free no one tells us what to do god damn it oh no, they don't tell you what to do, especially when you're crawling all over them. Three, download these episodes and leave us a review so we can emerge from the deep, dark corners of this systematically wrong and horrible podcast swamp. Oh, boy. I'm Jess. I'm Andrew. We'll, we'll see, see you next, next week. week. Then you have magic.